Welcome to the CEO Raider podcast. It's your host, John Maeda. We're back. You know, sometimes it's hit or miss with these things. When you, I don't know how many of you have done a podcast in the past, but there are so many extraneous elements that you have to consider from a mechanical standpoint in order to, to pull this thing off and kind of doing this on, on the cheap. The, the podcast itself isn't exactly our core business. It's a way to it's a way for us to get the word out as to, to what we're doing at CEO Raider, which is to inform people about quality CEOs, quality companies, to, to help measure quality, to ingest data on the platform, data that you guys deploy, that the general public deploys on the, on the platform. Uh, the, the podcast first foray into bringing proprietary data onto the platform. So over time, we want to incorporate you know, your data, the data that you uh, deploy in the platform, uh, crowdsource data is another way to describe it. We want to bring on third-party data onto the platform. So uh, data from extraneous sources, whether they be partner companies or uh, data that's in the public domain. And then finally, we want to bring proprietary data onto the platform, data that that, that we generate uh, through primary research, through could be any number of different means. Uh, and again, the podcast is, is sort of our, our first foray toward that that initiative. So let's 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 cover a couple of things. The Equifax board finally got around toward removing CEO Richard Smith. He he quote unquote resigned. That was long overdue. That should have happened the day of the incident or the next day. The incident reported on September seventh, and it, you know so the board finally got around to it on September twenty sixth. So from my point of view, uh, Equifax still needs to upgrade its its board of directors. For them to have taken this long and to have basically a, a group of outsiders, entirely outsiders outside of former CEO Richard Smith. You need to get some insiders on there. And I don't know what that company looks like on the inside. I don't know how qualified people are, but to, to, to have the disaster it had needs to be wholesale changes at the company. And frankly, I think it's easier done inside of a private company entity. So I don't think it makes sense for a strategic acquirer to to, to pursue an acquisition of Equifax. I think it makes sense for Equifax to be acquired by a, a private equity firm or a consortium of private equity companies, get it out of the public domain, you know, Get, get it off of uh, the exchanges. Uh, and as a, as a private company, you can make the sort of wholesale changes away from the eye, away from the, the capital market's eye and uh, make those changes and then bring it back to the public markets or uh, once it's cleaned up, if not an IPO, sell it to a strategic acquirer or to another group of private equity firms. It's, it's hard to make wholesale changes as a public company. It's hard to re-engineer a company in the the public eye as a public institution. Um, and I don't mean a, a public institution as a government institution. I mean as a, as a publicly traded company. Um, if, if you want some expertise on that, call uh, Fred Amoroso, who used to run Rovi, ticker symbol R-O-V-I, which at one point was, was Macrovision. And he basically changed that entire company while it was a public company, buying assets, selling assets, and it's just it's a, it's a lot easier to do it as a private entity than to have to do quarterly conference calls with investors, you know, file all your SEC filings, to go through all those machinations in the public eye. It just basically doubles the required effort. Let's get get back to business. So we put out a post today on LinkedIn. I don't know how many of you follow us on on LinkedIn, but we post to to LinkedIn, we post to Twitter, we post to Facebook, we post to Google Plus, and you can follow us on. All all those platforms hopefully you do we wrote a post on linkedin today and it was based on my experiences working uh, as a sell-side analyst covering software companies over a decade and i've probably covered maybe 30 or 40 public companies formally and informally i've probably tracked i don't know another 100 or 
200 public companies, another several hundred to maybe, I don't know, as much as 500 private companies. I know I had a private company list that was a couple thousand companies long, but in terms of the ones I actually tracked, maybe four or 500. So based on my experiences observing those companies from the outside, based on my experience working as a senior executive inside of a, a technology company, based on my experience as an entrepreneur, these are sort of the, the three tenets, if you will, toward driving innovation. One is to communicate a vision, communicate a clear, concise, and often repeated vision to employees, customers, and investors. Those are the three major stakeholder groups, and a vision should inspire people. So don't confuse this with a corporate mission statement. This is a vision, could be CEO's vision for the company, could be the vision that a general manager has for a particular business unit, could be vision that a department head for has for a particular department. But nonetheless, it should be the same. It, it, it should be clear. It should be concise. Vision should be visual, self-explanatory, but people should be able to sort of, you know, visualize that that vision as you articulate it to them. And it should inspire people much the way, you know, back in the 1960s when the United States said, we're going to put a man on the moon. That was aspirational. So people should be able to get emotional about it, should be able to get fired up about it. It should be something they think about outside of work. It should inspire passion, should ignite passion, much like taking the field during the Super Bowl, you need to get people juiced about it. And so I think effective leaders know how to get people jazzed up about a, a vision. So that's one. Number two, create an innovation culture. So some of the bullet points, if you will. Encourage smart risk taking. Learn from failure. Those two sort of go together. Right? Budget for and tie variable compensation to experimentation and innovation. And then balance. Have one foot in today and the other in tomorrow. And then that's a quote that I borrowed from Bill Green, the former chairman and CEO of Accenture. You, know, you can't have an innovation culture at the expense of the, the, the core business. So you've got to sort of protect the core and then drive innovation at the margin. And that's for you to figure out as, as CEO and as, as general managers how you want to go about doing that. I don't know if you have a discrete effort around innovation. Um, I think it would make sense to have everybody working on innovation to a degree. And so for some people, it may be their primary focus. For other people, it may be just sort of part of the day-to-day. How do we work and how do we breathe innovation into the core business? But I think it does make sense to have a discrete uh, innovation effort, to have a budget. So we budget X million dollars this quarter, X million dollars this year toward innovation and then you could divide define innovation how you want to me innovation is it, it's uh, it's not just adding a new feature to the core platform it's, it's doing something new right so if you're one of the the automobile oems it's 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 EVs, electronic vehicles versus the, the current internal combustion engine, right? It's still automobiles, but it's a, it's a brand new way of bringing uh, life to the automobile, internal combustion versus electric. So it requires a new way of thinking as a paradigm shift. That That's an innovation, right? And so I think you've got to encourage smart risk taking. And what we mean by that is putting some type of discipline around innovation. So trying to quantify you know, what are the inputs, how much capital, how many people, which, which people are they going to be, to what extent are they people that are already on, on board, already part of the payroll, to what extent we need to go out and hire new people. Hopefully you could do it primarily with primarily with people that are already on board. Then it's a question of how much time are they going to allocate each day, each week, each each month. You know, So what processes do you have to making sure people actually put the time into innovation? And you don't want to penalize people for experimenting as they innovate you want to encourage experimentation uh, the important thing is as people experiment you know what do they learn from, from that experimentation pros and cons so some people may call that a you know post-mortem but you've got to have some mechanism for recording what worked what didn't work 
in terms of what didn't work, uh, how can we learn from it? You may want to cull away some of what didn't work, some of what didn't work. You may want to just keep iterating on and pushing through until it, it is successful, right? So you've got to have some sort of mechanism for capturing those learnings and, and incorporating those learnings into a, a broader knowledge base, a, a shared knowledge base across the organization, or at least across large swaths of the of the organization. And then number three is, is check your ego. And I say that because quality innovations can come from anywhere. So I'll, I'll put these three tenants, which are on LinkedIn, I'll, I'll post the link in the show notes so you could refer to it. And then if you put a gun to my head and said, what are sort of the, the, the major takeaways from these three? I would see it gets, it, it's, it's a couple things. You know, if you're a CEO, it's the vision piece, because if you get people fired up about your vision, if your vision is correct and people are emotionally invested in it, they're inspired by it, you, you could have the best laid plans, right? You could have a great strategy, a great tactical plan well thought out but the execution is going to be a function of uh, sort of institutional will and that institutional will is composed of the passion at the employee level you know what sort of passion enthusiasm do individual employees bring toward achieving that that vision because invariably you're going to have challenges along the way you're going to face obstacles and some of them you're going to be able to think through hopefully most of them you will have avoided by way of your approach by way of your strategic approach and your tactical approach but invariably when you do come up against those challenges uh, some of them you may not be able to to think through at the beginning you're just going to have to have a smart approach and then the will the enthusiasm to just power through them right and some of them you'll power through and you'll just slam against the wall and say man we, we, we can't power through that we got to find another way so this goes back to testing and learning right it's an iterative process and that could become tedious at times but you've got to keep fighting through fighting through boring a hole through the wall you've got to push forward and this gets back to if you have a vision that's inspirational people want to fight through so that's that's a big one. And then I think the other big one is just encouraging risk-taking. You, you can't smack people down if they fail. You're going to have failure on these larger experiments, micro-experiments. You should have a, a high experimentation velocity. You should always be running small micro-experiments. And as you experiment, some of them are bound to fail by definition. And as they fail, people shouldn't necessarily be penalized, right? I mean, they should be penalized if people are failing and they're not learning from the failure. They're not recording data from those failure points. They're not sharing their experience. So, so you know, the, the institution isn't learning. The organization isn't learning. That's something that you should penalize somebody for. But if they're learning from their experiments, they're, they're sharing those experiences, then, you know, they're doing the right thing and more experimentation should be encouraged. But that starts at the, to at the top. You have to accept failure if you're in a position of leadership. If, in fact, you want people to innovate, that's part of the game. So th those would be the two main things from this session. Hope everybody has a great week and we'll talk to you soon.